भगवते वासुदेवायो भगवते वासुदेवायो भगवते Super Soul Farm. This is Wisdom of the Sages, your daily yoga podcast with your host Raghunath and co-host, bestie, and senior educator at the Bhakti Center in New York City, Kastuba Das. Welcome to our show. We are here with Mara, our executive producer, and our dear most teacher, mentor, spiritual inspiration on Sunday, interview day, His Holiness Radna Swami, who's joining us live on Zoom. Radna Swami, welcome to our show. We are so honored to have you here. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be with all of you. <laughs> Kastuba, do you want to... Um, uh, Say anything, introduce Maharaj. I would be honored to introduce Maharaj. Uh, Radha Swami is one of the world's most important voices from the Bhakti Yoga tradition. He spent his youth traveling and searching through different countries and cultures, yearning for an experience of truth, which culminated in meeting his spiritual master, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, and becoming his disciple. And he spent his last 50 years or so internalizing the teachings that he received from him and sharing those teachings and practices with others. Among the many ways that he shares this is through his books. Um, among them, The Journey Home, which is just an absolutely fascinating, thrilling, uh, illuminating story, a memoir of his travels through Europe, the Middle East, and ultimately through India, meeting a lot of the uh, important figures in the, in the world of yoga and spirituality. Um, and also the book, The Journey Within, which is a New York Times bestseller and an excellent introduction to bhakti yoga. Uh, he's not only a spiritual guide, but he's also a community builder and activist. Uh, some of the important projects that he's been instrumental in creating and guiding are the Bhaktivedanta Hospital in Mumbai, which is just an absolutely amazing institution where people get received not only expert care for the body, but also for the mind and for the soul. They're, they are doing cutting edge work in the field of spiritual care. Uh, the Govardhan Eco Village, which is just a completely incredible program. It's a farm, uh, eco-sustainable village where they have incredible care for animals and for the earth. And uh, they're showing the world um, ways that we can live a more sustainable life. It's been recognized and won many, many awards, uh, including by the UN. Uh, there's also the Midday Meals Program in Mumbai, which feeds over 300,000 children in the schools and ghetto slums of Mumbai every day with nutritional, spiritually sanctified food. And delicious. Um, delicious as well. Um, there are so I could go on and on about uh, Radha Swami's work and the work that he's done with his communities uh, in India, uh, although it would take too much time. Uh, also, of course, very near and dear to my heart is that he's very instrumental in helping uh, guide and direct the Bhakti Center in New York City, which I'm a part of. Uh, so there's so many um, accomplishments that he's had, too many to, to go through, but also just on a personal level. 
I think that Raghunath and I should share something because he means so much to the two of us. Maybe you could share something about that, Raghunath. Radha Swami's been incredible uh, personal GPS in my life, directing me, giving me always there. Um, when I need a question, when I have a question answered, all those things you said take up a lot of time to do. It's not like uh, this stuff's going on easily. It takes tons of manpower. And it's by his vision and his direction, it's just going on. And sometimes when you see people who are busy, to talk to them, to get a moment with them, it's like impossible to do it. But Maharaj has this unique, and if you've been with us at the Eco Village, at the Govardhan Eco Village, when we do our trainings there, He'll come by our table and he'll speak with us and he'll make it seem like he has all the time in the world for you. He never makes it seem like he's got a thousand people waiting for him or things to do. He makes you feel he's very, very present. And it's one of these qualities like, I feel like I, I, need, to, I need to take that. I need to, I need to live that one myself. Because when people ask me, they usually um, preempt their conversation with me like, hey, Raghunath, I know you're busy, but... But Maradana Swami has this way of just making us all feel peaceful, even though he's got so much on his plate. But another great quality that he has that's really affected me is um, I just, I, I always go back to probably the, the darkest, roughest patch in my spiritual life when my you know, chariot wheel was really caught in the mud and I was just stuck in life. And he has this way, Maharaj, you have this way of, seeing some greatness in people when they can't even see it in themselves. And it allows us to take a step out of our very low incarnation of ourself that we've created and enter into a new, a new body, almost a new mind, a new consciousness by just seeing us as something greater than we are. And I'm forever in debt to you for that. And Every time you speak to me, I feel like you're just lifting me out of some old, old skin, so to speak, like a, like a snake, <laughs> like a snake shedding skin. And I'm really, really, really grateful that you're here for us. And you're really directing wisdom of the sages. You're directing my family. I, I'm like a regular basis. There's not a moment. <laughs> we think about you all day long. And so for those who don't know Maharaj and, uh, and are just coming to the show, sometimes through Joe Rogan or they're coming from some other channel, uh, Maharaj is our inspiration. And we welcome you back. This is the second time we had you on the show. We're so happy you're here. So happy you're in our life. I don't know how to say that anymore. <laughs> I, I, was, uh, I was thinking... Uh, Maybe before we start the conversation, Raghunath, if you want to make the, the kind of typical announcements that we make, because I got a feeling we're going to get caught up in this. And Sure. Well, if you'd like to join, this is our daily yoga podcast, Saturday and Sunday. Saturdays, we take questions. We sleep in till eight o'clock, roll out of bed and start asking questions about our spiritual life. So if you have a question, you want to send it in, please email Mara at wisdomofthesages108 at gmail.com. And we try to field those questions as best as we can. Also, Sunday, we have special guests. And Rano Swami is our special guest. We also do that at 8 o'clock. But if you'd like to join us live on Zoom, you can also email Mara. We do it at 5 a.m. Eastern time every day. And it's a great way. If you're new to, if you're new to this, 
It's hearing truth on a regular basis. And this yoga wisdom philosophy is not meant for people thousands of years ago. It's living right now. And those who've been on Zoom with us uh, on this for the last year or so, they know it's helping direct our life, make us, help us make better choices, help us upgrade our life. So if you'd like to join us, you're welcome. You know, you're, uh, we'd love to have you. And also Wisdom of the Sages is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to support us in any way, join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash wisdom of the sages. And we have a whole group of discourse that we do on a regular basis, talking about questions and philosophy and uh, recipes and music. And it's, it's a whole beautiful transcendental maze. And along with classes and uh, readings and so on, are there on Patreon. Yeah, okay. and tonight I'm doing a sweet baby Krishna class at 7 p.m. All right. You can join us there on Patreon tonight. Okay, so let us begin, huh? Maharaj, uh, our first question for you is that you, you are a, a representative of a spiritual tradition which has a particular faith. And our question is, is there a universal message within it that can resonate with people who don't share your faith. Thank you, I am so grateful, so honored that I am with all of you, and I hope you could hear me. We can. <laughs> um, you, you study the Srimad Bhagavatam daily, and in, in the first canto, or the part of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's one particular verse on which all the 18,000 verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam are built upon. There was a great king, Parikshit, who was about to die. He had seven days to live. And he asked Sukadev Goswami, who was representing all the great sages and saints and yogis throughout the land. He asked, with this seven days, I do not have time to go through all the scriptures and meet all the different teachers. Please tell me what is the essence? What is true dharma? What is the heart of all the religions, of all the spiritual practices? And the answer was given. This was actually spoken in Naimasharanya. That the very supreme dharma, the essence of all religion, the, the very heart of spirituality is that path which awakens love for the supreme being. And that love, when it is unmotivated by selfishness, by egoism, it can completely satisfy the self. In all the great religions of the world, we find that we should know ourself. We have this body, we have this mind, 
but the living force that's animating this body and mind, seeing through the eyes and hearing through the ears, thinking through the brain, that is, in Sanskrit, the Atma, or the spirit soul. And the nature of that spirit soul in the Srimad Bhagavatam is that we are all part of the Supreme Soul. We are all part of God. And our nature, our essential, inherent nature is to love God. And loving God is like putting water on the root of a tree. Naturally, that water extends to every part of the tree, the leaves, the branches, the twigs, the flowers. And similarly, when we awaken that inherent love that is who we are and who we've always been and who we will always be, then that love extends to all living beings. And this is the essential universal principle of all religion, of all spirituality, to awaken our deepest potential to love God and express it in a spirit of compassion to all living beings. The Bhagavad Gita tells, Brahma Bhuta Prasanatmana Sochati Nakangshati Samasarveshu Bhuteshu Madhbhaktim Labhate Param. That when one achieves Brahma Bhuta, which means spiritual awakening, then one is self satisfied, one is joyful because one finds such happiness within oneself. One doesn't hanker or lament for things of this world. And in that state, one sees all living beings with equal vision. One aspires to live as a true friend for all living beings. That is compassion. And bhakti, bhakti is actually that state of consciousness. And it's at the heart and the essence of spirituality. And all the great spiritual teachers throughout history, they have taught this principle, perhaps in different languages, perhaps according to the time, place, and circumstance with different ceremonies and rituals, and perhaps various levels or degrees of this knowledge. But at the heart of it is the awakening of this love and this compassion. Thank you for that thorough answer, Maharaj. And it, <laughs> <laughs> it's so important because we're living in a world that, I don't know, to some of us, it feels like we're more polarized than ever. Um, and uh, I really appreciate your sharing that and understanding how Bhagavatam can help us realize that, we're, that ultimately these spiritual paths are they're meant to help us understand how we can be a true friend of every living being. Would you like to ask a question, Raghunath? Sure, Maharaj, thank you. Um, the coronavirus and all that comes with, with it, the deaths, the pain, the loss, the lockdowns, the quarantines, uh, the economic ramifications, we're all in a little bit of a panic. Um, panic with what's up next it's unique in the history of the world 
and we've yet to see how it eventually plays out. Can you share your thoughts about how you interpret these events, um, perhaps the lens that we should see through to interpret it for our own well-being and our own spiritual evolution? And is there some message that we're supposed to take from it and, and, and hold on to? Uh, because there's a lot of emotions out there and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of fear. Um, can you shed some light on this for us? Where there is suffering due to fear, due to pain, heartbreak, death, the human spiritual nature is that we feel compassion and in whatever way possible we want to help. And we're in a situation where there is so much fear and confusion and so much heartbreak and death. And to, to see it through the lens of compassion um, actually rises, rise, helps us to rise above fear and confusion. Throughout history, pandemics and epidemics have come and gone. And um, with all our advancement in technology and science, we're not an exception. It's the way nature works. And the way I see it is while we're trying to help by protecting our own bodies and our own families and loved ones, knowing that this body is a gift, it's God's gifts and it's sacred because the body has inherently a sacred purpose. So to protect the body to protect the bodies of our loved ones is a sacred duty, especially if we understand its sacred purpose. And that purpose in its highest, most inclusive state is to be an instrument of God's compassion in our life in this world. Somehow or other, there's so many distractions in the world, whether, whether they're ideological, technological, political, or just our own body and mind. Um, we forget what we really want in our life. And in the computer age, we have our reset button. We press this button to kind of erase so many of the things that are there on the screen and bring us back to our original natural position. And I see this as we're trying to help in whatever way we can, protect ourselves and others. Nature 
is pressing a reset button so that we can take inventory of our values, our desires, our, our purpose, and what really is meaningful in our life. And how to focus our attention on addressing the real issues that have true relevance to our life. Our families, our loved ones, our society, our own true self within, and God. These are the most important relationships we have, and the heart yearns to have these relationships. So with all the distractions and diversions that we are vulnerable to, we have an opportunity individually and collectively to take some time, to take a step back. And what direction do I really want to take in my life? What is, the, what is the character and the values spiritually, socially, and individually that I want to make sacred in my life? And this is an extraordinary crisis. It's unprecedented but it also gives us unprecedented opportunities. Thank you, Maharaj. You, know, you, you, you mentioned address that this is a way that we can hit a reset button. And uh, you know, I'm sure both individually and collectively. And you mentioned it can help us focus and address the real issues. And you mentioned family, loved ones, society, and God. And you know, as you're saying that, I was also, I, I think there's still more questions we want to ask around this current crisis. But um, just that reminded me of some of the work that you do with the Govardhan Eco Village, which is a place, you know, Raghunath and I, we visit every year. Now we teach trainings there every year. And we remember years ago when you brought us there and it was just uh, mostly just uh, open land. Uh, and it was just an idea, a, a vision in your mind, a, a vision of, of service that you could provide for, for, for your guru and for the world. And uh, it, it occurs to me that, you know, what, what really strikes it, so many things about what, what you all do there strike me. And I'm interested in hearing about the, the principles that are behind it. Uh, but when you mentioned that, and you said society, what one thing that the government community uh, Governon Eco Village communicates to me is that animals are also part of that society. When I see how much care goes into caring for the animals there, and I wonder if that's an, also an important part of what we're meant to reset, you know, how we think also about the animals. And maybe you could just share thoughts about that and about the Governon Eco Village in general and, and the inspiration and, uh, behind that and the principles involved in that. Thank you, Kostruba. Thank you, Raghunath. 
for this opportunity. We build a house or a building on a foundation. And our community at Govardhan Eco Village and whatever other projects we're involved in are built on a foundation. And that foundation is a principle, the principle of harmony. To live in harmony with our own true self. To harmonize the body, the mind, with our own spirit, with our own true self. And to harmonize our speech, our actions, and as far as possible, our thoughts with God, with other living beings, all living beings, and with nature. Sacred ecology, animal rights, humanitarianism, spiritualism, they're all integrated. If we value living in a spirit of compassion as a foundation principle in our life, then how could we actually live this, share this? Yoga means harmony. Yoga doesn't just mean an exercise or a particular type of meditation. Yoga in its true sense is to live in harmony with ourself, with God, with nature, and with all living beings, union. So it is this principle of harmony and compassion, which is the basic principle of the aspiration to love, that is the foundation of Govardhan Eco Village. So we're trying in our own small way, because in this big world, in this big universe, we're already small. But the beautiful thing about life is even the smallest thing has unlimited value and size if it is done with sincerity. Mother Nature is providing everything for us. Just as a little baby is completely dependent on his or her mother, we are completely dependent on Mother Nature for the sunshine and the rain and the grain, for providing our body, our minds, our everything. And to respect the sacredness of nature as God's property entrusted to us means that whatever nature provides, we're grateful. When we have gratitude, we do not exploit and we do not neglect. When we have a grateful heart, we can appreciate 
the value of what we're receiving. Every breath is so valuable. It's keeping us alive. It's keeping our loved ones alive. To, to be aware of Mother Nature's gifts to us, whatever we receive from her, we want to return in such a way that we replenish her. We show our gratitude to her. We don't show neglect, exploitation through pollution. So as far as possible, we try to live in that harmony with nature. Life is sacred. If we understand the principle that wherever there is consciousness, there is the presence of a part of God's soul. Enlightenment, wisdom, is the capacity to see the divinity, the sacredness of who we are. Unless we learn to appreciate our true self and learn to love God within ourselves, then it's very difficult to actually recognize the sacredness of life wherever and however it exists and God's presence in that life. In the Western world, people love their dogs and their cats and their pets. They're not humans, but because they have a personal relationship, they interact. Cows, donkeys, sheep, birds, all these animals, they value their life very much the same way we do. They protect and love their children very much the way we do because they're life loving. They're pleasure seeking as we do. The more we come in contact or in harmony with our true self, the more we feel respect and compassion for nature, for animals, and naturally for other people, whatever their race, whatever their religion or no religion, whatever their sex, whatever their nationality, we're all essentially brothers and sisters on a spiritual platform. Yoga is to come in harmony with ourselves and at the same time live with a character with values of seva, where there's no greater opportunity than to uplift others, to enlighten others, to serve others. And it, this simple principle to share our appreciation and our eagerness to serve the sacredness of life, the, the compassion of, of God, who we call Krishna, through nature and through our own spiritual practices, 
and through how we deal and interact with every aspect of the world, that's the seed of what Govardhan Eco Village is trying to do. And what's really beautiful and really incredible is if we just cultivate that little seed of this aspiration within our own heart and share it with others and receive that sharing from others, then it's actually incredible what together we could do. Thank you, Maharaj. You know, normally I take notes during the, uh, during the podcast and then I kind of share those in the descriptions, but like Raghunath and I are usually chit-chatting and going back and forth and every now and then there's something worth noting down, but like every sentence coming out of your mouth is like noteworthy. Is, is very noteworthy. You know, Stube, I think it's important that for those who haven't been to the Govardhan Echo Village, when you think of an Echo Village, I don't know what comes to mind. Simple. It's not, a, it, it's incredibly cutting edge, simple, yet sophisticated um, village of sustainability. It's, it's, it's quite impressive, uh, not by Indian standards, by global standards. They've won global awards um, for uh, what the monks have done. And the monks are all engineers studying sustainability. It's, it's so impressive. Yeah. The rooms we stay, so you think well, I'm staying in an echo village, I'm staying, what am I staying in a hut? No, I'm staying in this incredible like condominium built of earthen bricks. It's actually unbelievable. We're not in like the three little pigs huts. It, it is like this beautiful work of art. It's like very, very cutting edge. And um, it, it, it's really mind blowing uh, what, what all the monks there are doing. And they, they host, they host us. And so for the, for the month, and a lot of, I see a lot of faces here that have, have gone um, by Radha Swami's uh, mercy and his uh, direction and inspiration, we've created this uh, Super Soul Academy where we do these trainings every year. And for January, we get to like check out of life. It's our little own private, you know, what's going on now, we're shutting everything down. We all go to the eco village for about a month. And, um, we run our 300 hour training there and uh, which is like a bhakti cultural immersion for those who are the yoga teachers. Um, Kostuba and Doyal run the wisdom training, which is studying of sacred literature. Uh, this year we have, uh, we have a Kirtan Academy where we, people want to study and add Kirtan yoga teachers add to their classes. And also um, uh, I, uh, this year also we're having a practical Ayurveda course for two weeks. So, um, uh, you can check all that stuff at, at supersoulyoga.com. And um, we are always thrilled to check out of the material world and really check in. And there's nothing beats an immersion because the backdrop of it is, is beautiful. It's that connection with nature and the connection with, with all the hosts and, and, and having Maharaj there, just like as a, as a, as a, as a bee buzzing around. It's so, <laughs> it's so nice to see. It's, 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 for me, it's the best thing all year. I look forward to this, um, to just to be around really like-minded people who want to upgrade the quality of their life. Um, 
you know, what, what, I agree with every word coming out of your mouth, Raghunath, and I encourage people to come and be with us next January. And um, while we're plugging away, we, we should also mention that Radhanath Swami and yourself will be co-leading a one-day online bhakti retreat uh, hosted by the Bhakti Center. And yeah. that's on Saturday, May 9th. It's pretty much goes, it goes from 7.15 a.m. to 5.15 p.m. So it's a full day. Yogi Charu will also be part of that. Genevieve Harrison will also be part of that. So those interested in that, please go to the Bhakti Center website. And on the homepage, you'll see, a, you'll see it advertised the one-day online Bhakti retreat. Yeah, that'll be great. We usually do it every year live. I'm really happy we're still doing it despite what's going on. And it's going to be a little bit different, but I'm happy it's still going on. Yeah. I'm happy to be in Mara. You know, we always say on the show, our power, we develop our power from the people we associate with. And the people that we associate with can bring us way down or lift us way up. So by doing these things and having special guests like yourself, Maharaj, I feel lifted. I've been, I've been, I've been in a cesspool and you're lifting me out right now. I feel lifted out. Thank Love you. Love lifts you up where you belong, Rogana. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's quite amazing. So, um, and this community here on, uh, that we're doing, and if you're new to the community, welcome. Join us every morning. We do Srimad Bhagavatam class and uh, we study together and it helps us recalibrate our day. Just hearing truth on a regular basis. It helps us in the course of our choices. And so we'd like to do it early in the morning. If you're not used to waking up early in the morning, try it. Give it, make an experiment. Wake up early. You'll find your, it's the most precious time of the day. If you got kids, it's before the kids get up. If you, you know, it's before there's any like uh, any busyness going on. Although we have a bunch of Europeans who just sort of check out from work and they're watching it too without their bosses knowing. We see that going on and it's great for couples. There's a lot of couples here watching today. People bring their pets, they bring their children, bring everybody to the Srimad Bhagavatam. Everybody benefits and if you're, especially if you're a yoga teacher or study and want to really learn how to apply yoga philosophy, this is our passion. And um, yeah, we're happy to have you. You want to continue on, Kastu, with these questions? Sure. Um, let's get back to the, uh, the, the current crisis with the coronavirus. And, you know, Maharaj, maybe there's some advice that you could share with people. There's, there's, you know, there's different kind of tensions or pressures that are going on. A lot of people are struggling and feeling disconnected, being away from friends and loved ones, or even being away from their occupations and the people that they normally interact with. Uh, I've heard that, that lawyers are predicting that divorce rates are going to skyrocket just because of the in increased tensions that are there. Uh, so relationships also may be under strain. Um, do you have any advice for how we can maintain our mental well-being, how people can maintain their mental well-being uh, or maintain their relationships well? Um, people, whether we're just isolated with our own mind and, and feeling some mental pressure or whether we're living in close quarters with people for a long time under a different kind of tension. Is there something, is, could you suggest ways that we might be able to maintain our let's say our, our mental well-being spiritually through this one of the primary reasons for anxiety <clears throat> and stress 
and breakdowns of relationships is a basic principle. Our tendency is that we want to be controllers. I want to be a proprietor, I want to be a controller, I want to be enjoyer. Bhagavad Gita tells, these are the th three principles that keep us in a suffering condition. Each and every one of us have some degree of control. Whether we're living in a little hut, whether we're multi-billionaires, everyone has some degree of control. But ultimately, the way the world is, we are faced with what we cannot control. Let us give an example of time. When one's a little child and is playing and the father says, or the mother says, you must go to school. And the child says, but I like to play. And the parents say, but when you grow up, you will need an education. And the child says, I do not want to grow up. Does the child have a choice of whether to grow older and older and older? By the power of time, old age, disease, and ultimately death are inevitable. Whoever we are, whatever we believe or don't believe, we're under the control of time. And there's adhyatmaka, adhibotaka, adhidaivaka. There's anxieties, sufferings caused by our own body and mind, by natural disturbances, by other living beings, how other people treat us, how nature, whether it be earthquakes or storms or cold or heat or pandemics, diseases, there are many things within this world that are just not within our control. And as long as we're trying to control as long as we're set on an expectation that things are gonna go according to the way I want it to go, then it makes us vulnerable to anxiety, frustration. We should do the best we can, but understand that when things are beyond our control, we need to adjust ourselves. And that's why, as Raghunath was saying, we need a compass, or in today's world, a GPS in our life. When a ship is in the ocean, sometimes it's a sunny day with cool ocean breezes, and other days, there's massive storms and winds. Some days it's clear, some days it's so foggy you can't see anything. But we need that compass so that whatever comes in our life, we're going in the right direction. We have a standard of in whatever comes to us, we're going to respond to it 
in harmony with the direction we have committed ourselves to in our life. With the GPS, you, we, we um, type in a particular destination. And there's a voice that tells us, turn right in 500 feet. Turn right in 200 feet. And we know we're supposed to turn right. But we get distracted. And we keep going. And then the GPS tells us to recalibrate and find a route to bring us back to where we were going. That is so important in our life. Today, because we're so much with ourselves, and in many cases, with our family, our close ones, our loved ones, there's more opportunity to disagree. There's more opportunity to fight. There's more opportunity to feel frustrated that this person is not fulfilling my expectations and I'm responding accordingly. But actually, in our relationships, if we have this GPS that as a husband, as a wife, as a partner, this person has entrusted my care and I'm entrusted with their care. And whatever may happen, to respect one another, to enlighten one another is, is truly the principle of, of love and it's truly the principle of relationship. And when we're in a situation where that's tested, where it's difficult, but we live in harmony with the compass of our purpose in our life, our value in our life, that's the time when we grow the most with wisdom, with inner satisfaction, and with spiritual progress. Thank you, Parash. Uh, I pray that all of us, uh, through hearing your words, will make this a time where we can grow the most, actually. Thank you so much. Thank you for being our GPS. <laughs> you are. Yes, a little Radna Swami GPS. Wouldn't it be a great product to have with you wherever you go? I am your servant, Raghunath. Wherever <laughs> you are, I just want to be with you. Huh. You just do the course of the day. Tell me what to do. Don't eat that, Raghunath. <laughs> you eat too much. <laughs> Stop Raghunath, to control. Raghunath and Kostuba, both of you, you make the most difficult pursuit in life so happy and joyful and humorous. Right, you made spiritual life joyful. You you bring it all. You make you, you it's grave. You make it very grave. You understand the depth of it, but you also have your light heart about it. Your childlike heart about it all makes us all relate to it. You're so relatable. And what I really love about you is you go past all the externals and go right for the essence, which makes you so approachable to the whole world. Truthfully, the whole world. You're not building a 
a house that are, only a few people can live in. Only the people that dress like you or think like you or wear the clay marking it. You make it a very wide gate and you welcome people with the spiritual life. And we just try to follow in your footsteps, Maharaj. Thank you so much. Yeah. I say that if there's, if anybody likes this podcast, it, it's so much of it is just because of what you've shared with us. We're in our tiny way trying to share that same message and mood. So thank you so much, Marish. Also, if you're new to the podcast and you're new to Bhakti, which is a lot of people out there are very new to this stuff. A real great introduction book is Radna Swami's A Journey Home, autobiography of an American Swami. And it's his incredible story, hitchhiking from Europe to India. Yes, something, a lot of us, in, especially in America, are like, you can even do that? Yes, you can. And he did it. And he did it <laughs> with nothing. He did it with nothing. Ended up in the Himalayas, living with sadhus. And, um, and, he, and it, it, besides a great story, and it's, it is a great story, it is peppered with deep philosophical truths, stuff. And you will find your own journey by reading The Journey Home. And um, yeah, it's the, it's the book I recommend to everybody who's new to this stuff because it's like yourself. It's very, very approachable. And um, the, the things that you were going through on your path, it, it affects a lot of us because we're all going through stuff as well, Maharaj. And we like to see what, 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 what's on the other end of this. You're on the other end of this, Maharaj. We're so happy. We want to be more like you. It's good to have heroes in this world. You're my hero. You're my hero, Maharaj. Raghunath, I love to serve you. <laughs> you inspire my heart as you do everyone. Thank you. Maharaj, uh, we have another question. Um, we have many, many of our listeners uh, in our regular audience are healthcare providers. And currently they're risking their own health to serve others. And of course, we're very concerned with all the staff at the Bhaktivedanta Hospital and we pray and hope that they're doing well. Is there a message that you would like to share with our essential frontline responders uh, to this coronavirus epidemic or pandemic? My message to all of these heroic, wonderful people is I extend my deepest gratitude to you. Please, you do everything within your ability to be safe. My, my beloved Guru, Srila Prabhupada, he gave a simple analogy that if a person is drowning, we have to, we have to stay above the water ourselves to help that person. Otherwise, we if we're drowning, we cannot save another drowning person. And when we go into airplanes, we're told um, that if the oxygen mask comes, mother should first put it on herself and then the other, the, the child. So please, um, all people who are in the front lines serving humanity, um, Stay safe yourself in every way, and then you know, extend yourselves to do whatever you can 
to be an instrument of compassion for these other people. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, people need nourishment on all three of these levels of life. And as far as possible, let us provide that nourishment. Thank you. Thank you for taking this risk. Thank you for selfless service. Thank you, Maharaj. Kostuba, did you ask Maharaj about, you know, Maharaj has this hospital as well. What's, what's yeah. it like in Bombay? It's a group of his students that are doctors and they put together with Ranaswamy's vision, this incredible hospital. It's almost worth, it's, it, Maharaj, if you don't mind, I just want to mention something about the hospital. The hospital is one of those, your hospital is so wonderful, it makes me want to get sick. <laughs> our students who have been sick and have gone to that hospital have said, you know, you know, Raghunath, you took me on pilgrimage. The most spiritual thing I experienced the entire pilgrimage is when I went to the hospital. It's true. It's incredible. It's really incredible. And it's that care and the love that you exude that your students take on. Um, yoga teachers out there, uh, that's why you got to be careful who your teachers are. You become like your teachers. And all those doctors at the hospital, it's almost like they're, they're empowered by you and they have that same grace and bedside manner and compassion like you have. And it is really, you feel like you're in like a spiritual snow globe when I'm there. How, how, are, how are all your people holding up at the hospital in uh, Mumbai? It is a challenge in that particular area of Maharashtra state in India, which is called Mirror Road, a section of Mumbai. Um, we are perhaps the prominent hospital. It's about a 300 bed hospital. It's growing in size. And of course the coronavirus in Maharashtra, in the Bombay area of India, is the hardest hit place in the country, as far as I know. So, you know, we've dedicated um, a large portion of our beds, and we have satellite hospitals that have been given to us, actually, that we, and we have an entire hospital that's dedicated only to treating this. Um, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the staff, you know, they have to risk their lives to serve. Um, but there's no greater honor than to risk our life to serve, especially when there's a spiritual purpose underlying it. Um, in the Christian religion and the Jewish religion, the first and great commandment is to love God with your heart, your mind, your soul. And the way to express that is to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a universal spiritual principle. We spoke the same principle at the beginning of our talk today from the Srimad Bhagavatam. That um, what, is, what do you gain by achieving the whole world if you lose your own soul. 
So Bhaktivedanta Hospital is, is based on this simple principle to, to follow, we follow Bhakti Yoga. We, we chant God's names, Krishna's names, for the purpose of accessing compassion and love that's within us all. It's the true treasure of life to access that and then in whatever profession, whatever occupation, whatever role we are in society, we express that love for God and compassion for others beyond any sectarian ideas or conceptions. Compassion is universal. The sun does not shine for one person or one country. The sun shines for everyone. And similarly, when the heart finds the light of love within it, then it shines for everyone. So Bhaktivedanta Hospital is, you know, there's doctors and there's nurses and there's administrators and there's electricians and there's housekeepers and there's cooks and all of these people. They're united on a simple principle. Bhaktivedanta Swami is the name of our guru, Srila Prabhupada, and it, it's dedicated to the spirit that he inspired us with, the spirit of whatever our particular field of life is, we access through our spiritual practice this devotion and this compassion, and we apply it to our words and to our actions. So, Bhaktivedanta Hospital has been through the crises of massive earthquakes, emergency relief, and, and tsunami, and, and terrorist attacks. So emergencies are nothing new there. Mm. And this coronavirus is a, a pandemic, which is a, an inconceivable crisis. Um, but whatever may come, um, we try to be you know, prepared for seva, to serve, to serve with compassion. But in order to do that, we need internal strength. And for us, it's a spiritual strength that motivates us. Incredible. I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question. I don't even remember the question. <laughs> it did, Marcia. Maybe I could share a personal story. You know, some years back, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, you know, my, my wife was going through a health crisis. And, you know, America, although it's a land of, you know, so much wealth in one sense, it's also a land, you know, where, uh, you know, health care is... is um, the, the ability to, to receive health care can be so incredibly expensive that uh, we weren't really able to access it. And, and at that time, Radha Swami very kindly made every arrangement that we needed for us to fly to Mumbai and, uh, and get her that help. We stayed in the, we stayed in the Bhaktivedanta Hospital for about a week now. I always appreciated the Bhaktivedanta Hospital. Um, and I always appreciated, I had super high respect for the entire spiritual community that you lead, the Radha Gopinath, the temple uh, in Mumbai, and the quality of the thousands of Krishna bhaktas in that community, 
thousands. Many thousands. I mean, we, there's just not enough time to go into like how far that network spreads and, and, and so on, but thousands of people that are imbibing really deeply, you know, transforming into carrying your spirit and the spirit of Srila Prabhupada and, the, and ultimately the compassion of Krishna through their lives in so many different ways. And, and the monks from that temple who are all like these brilliant engineers and like incredible, wow. right? They're all coming from like the high, like they, they come out of the highest um, uh, universities <laughs> yeah, in, in, in Mumbai, in India, really in the world. Um, they, they would bring the message of bhakti into the, into the medical schools. And through that, about 150 or so doctors and nurses had become part of that spiritual community. And through Radhanaswamy's guidance, they created this hospital. Now, this hospital is like, it's a top-notch hospital. It's, they're giving top-notch health care. But the spiritual uh, theme and, the, and this, the spiritual mission behind it is astounding to witness. And, and by being able to live there for a week or so and witness it 24 hours a day, both my wife, Gita Pri and I, we were speechless. Like, it was like, we've never seen an institution uh, with such deep integrity and so much sacrifice and so much spiritual power that it, that it becomes infectious. And like Raghav was saying, I pray to get sick. Well, you know, <laughs> what we see there is that the people that come, there are crazy statistics about the numbers of people that come through that hospital and change their lives, not only they have their health restored, but they and their families take up spiritual life and take up the practice of bhakti yoga in astounding numbers, more so than practically any like, like temple or, or, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's just the, the nature of the care and the quality of the character of the staff is, is, is transformative. I'm I'm going to jump in too, if, yeah. if, if, because that, that that potency you put out, Marge, is so powerful. It's it's we are I guess we're just energy emanating out, and you have such a powerful spiritual focus and commitment that your hospital does it. The first time I came to, I, I brought my wife Bridget to uh, to Mumbai to meet you um, in 2003 or 2004. Um, you know, she had never been to India before. And, you know, if you're an American, you've never been to India, when you land that airplane into Mumbai or New Delhi or wherever you're coming from, it's a little shocking. We're not used to it. We're not used to, there's poverty. There's sometimes uh, maybe garbage by American standards. It's a little shocking. And I, I, I could see the shock. And a lot of you know this. I could see the shock in her eyes about the cult, the, uh, you know, sometimes you see a five-year-old begging, holding a two-year-old and it, it, it just throws an American off, off kilter. And I could tell she was shocked. And um, we went to the oasis of Radhaswamy's temple in Mumbai. And we just started meeting people, meeting people, meeting more people, meeting the monks and meeting the con community, meeting the householders. And I remember three days later, my wife, who was initially incredibly shocked, just said, maybe we should move to Bombay. Maybe we should move to Mumbai. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's, it, it's like that because you live, you, you've, 
you create a bubble wherever you go. The hospital is a bubble of love and compassion and joy and love. It's, it's unbelievable. When you enter that transcendental snow globe, you can't believe what's going on there. And everybody is affected, Maharaj. And it's giving me inspiration right now to get serious about my spiritual life. Because we're all just energy shooting outwards. And we're going to affect whoever we're around. So we can do this in a little way or a massive way. And you're doing it wherever you go. You're doing it on this. You're lifting up the, uh, you're raising the bar on our Zoom podcast. <laughs> it's true. I'm, I'm very small, nothing person, but I'm, but I love to be with people like you and I love to serve. And a principle of Bhaktivedanta Hospital and life in whatever occupation or role we may be, it's important that we balance because obviously our economic situation, money is an important consideration in life. Um, but if it's off balance, we lose the very quality of our life. That to value how we could serve our loved ones, how we could serve others. Srila Prabhupada taught that all the Vedas and all the knowledge of the scriptures, there's a simple instruction. Sarve Sukhano Bhavantu. Let everyone be happy. In giving happiness to others, in making a positive difference in people's lives. When we value that and balance that with all other considerations, then our life has something very meaningful. If we're just working for money, then our life is an empty shell. But if we're really trying to be compassionate, trying to serve, trying to make a positive difference in people's lives. And that is a light and a force. And money is just our, our financial gain is a part of that. It's, it's balanced and integrated within that. And Bhaktivedanta Hospital, and, and I have seen in India and throughout the world, people who are in industry, people who are in education, politics, science, um, business, whatever it may be, when we have a purpose, a purpose where the greatest opportunity I have is to serve, to be an instrument of compassion. And we orchestrate our financial considerations around that principle rather than the other way around. Then life becomes a miracle. And of course, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Especially in this world today, there is a great spiritual starvation in people's hearts. Mm. Even people who are following 
a religion unless they go beyond the rituals and the various um, dogmas that we fight about, unless we go to the heart and the essence of cleansing our minds, cleansing our hearts, living in harmony with the universal essential principle of compassion and love for God, unless we go to that, then we're constantly being disturbed by the temptations and the fears and the superficialities of the things around us. It is so important that this direction in our life, this purpose in our life is established and we need each other. We need community. We need community to help us to remain focused. And then the integration with our professions, with our skills, with our economic needs, with this idea makes life beautiful. And to the degree our life becomes internally beautiful, we could bring beauty to other people's lives. My beloved Guru Shiva Prabhupada, he came to America in 1965 and he had, he had seven dollars when he arrived but it was in rupees he couldn't even exchange it he was practically homeless but he wanted to give something to the people because he saw whether people are rich or whether the people are poor people are internally starving for inner peace for inner satisfaction for an inner connection to, to god's love and he just sat under a little tree and someone gave him a bongo drum. And he beat on his bar bongo drum and he chanted this beautiful Hare Krishna mantra and taught this universal's principle of love, of compassion, of life. And gradually, you know, people learned, learned how they could integrate their life with this purpose. One may be Jewish, one may be Christian, one may be Muslim, Buddhist, Jain, Sikh, Parsi, one may be a Hindu, one may be a Hare Krishna. To learn how to appreciate the essence and the heart of all the great religions to learn how to appreciate and embrace the very need of the heart to love, to be loved. And it's very important that we learn to make that inner connection and appreciate the value of who we are and what we have to offer to the world and every one of us. We could find great joy if we recognize the value of who we are and what we have to offer to the world. Big or small is not important because that's a material conception. It's our intent, our sincerity to share God's love. And then doctors, lawyers, business, teachers, mothers, fathers, Swamis, monks, 
you know, we're all different parts of the body of, of society and we're all there to empower one another, to appreciate one another, to inspire one another, enlighten one another. And in this way, um, we could do wonderful things in this life. And ultimately, death comes to all of us, whether it's today or after many decades. How we utilize the valuable moments in this life while we have it, and how we're preparing our eternal spirit for its destination beyond this life. That's what's really important. And that's what we should integrate all of our responsibilities of life to take responsibility for. Or as you speak in such an inclusive way, um, why is it that in religion, and it's why people get down on religion or spiritual paths, and, what, and how do you keep from getting serious about your path, but not exclusive, um, where you get, it, it seems like that kills a spiritual path again and again. What is it that we can do to keep that inclusive and see the essence in all spiritual traditions? How can we keep that with us? Sometimes I get very focused on my own spiritual path also, and it, 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 um, it makes me more of an exclusivist, but you're speaking as such a beautiful inclusivist. Can you give us some advice that we don't have not to get lost in the dogma of, of, of spiritual path? <laughs> it's natural to have this exclusive desire within our hearts because we're people and we're individual and we're unique. And when we have something that's very valuable to our lives, it's transforming our lives, it's, it is very special and it is very unique for us. So the idea of exclusiveness on a personal level of really appreciating the beauty and the greatness of the grace and the mercy that's showering upon me through my spiritual path is natural. But then when we go deeper into the, into the principles, into the, to the heart of the teachings, we understand that other people may feeling that's that an exclusiveness in their way. And I respect that I have my inspiration for how I'm worshiping, but they have for theirs. And the more I understand the joy of my spiritual path, the more I can appreciate the joy that, they're, that they could potentially be finding in their spiritual path. So, to, to do away with the idea of exclusiveness isn't really possible. We need to balance ex the, the exclusive feeling that this is mine, God is mine, <laughs> with, the, with the higher understanding that 
God is everyone's. And inclusiveness and exclusiveness together creates a beautiful, loving community of human beings. Wow. That was a great answer. Otherwise, you know, if we're just so inclusive, we lose appreciation for our own true identity mm. and the specialness of what we've been given and who we are. And if we go too exclusive, then the medicine makes us more sick than we originally were. Because the whole purpose of Dharma or spirituality is to free us of the false ego so that our real ego as eternal compassionate lovers of God and, and all beings is awakened. And unfortunately today, people in the name of religion become very judgmental and very arrogant toward what's different. And that is contradictory from the very, to the very purpose of the spiritual path itself that, that we're following. The Bible says, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, they, they will attain the kingdom of God. So Lord Chaitanya taught, Trinada bisuni chena taro what is the aspiration, the virtue, and the character of one who loves God, who could constantly chant God's names? One who's more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, who's eager to offer all respect to others and does not depend on, expect, or demand respect for oneself. That's at the heart of all spiritual paths. And when we understand that, then the exclusive sweetness and beauty that we're receiving in our own spiritual community and through our own practice, we value it so dearly, but at the same time, we're inclusive because we know and we appreciate that other people are finding it in their way. Thank you, Marsh. I, I think we have two important questions left. And uh, these are in relation to the Srimad Bhagavatam, which of course is what we're reading here every day on the Wisdom of the Sages podcast. Now, it have to do with Nara Narayan Rishi costume. We're going to get to the Nara. I was saving that for last. We're going to talk about Nara Narayan Rishi. But before we get to Nara Narayan Rishi, which is the Maharaj, we're all dying to find out more about Nara Narayan Rishi. But before we go there, you know, Raghunath and I just kind of, we just started doing this thing where we're reading Bhagavatam every day. Now, we're a couple of relatively ordinary people. Uh, we're not great learned scholars. We're not great saints or anything like that. But we just started reading this book every day online and uh, the audience kept growing. And now it's like every, every, we do the show every single day practically and uh, every day thousands of people are tuning in and we're starting to get a lot of mail from people 
And these letters are just beautiful. People saying how hearing this Bhagavatam every day is changing their life. I'm wondering what is it that is so special about this book, Srimad Bhagavatam, that makes it so unique and so especially powerfully, spiritually transformational. That's the most wonderful question and I'm not qualified to answer, but I'll speak a few words. <laughs> Thank you, Kastuba Raghunath, for giving the teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam in such an exciting and brilliant way to so many people every day. Thank you. You are both heroes <laughs> within the world. We could speak forever on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, one of the special features of Srimad Bhagavatam is that it takes us through a history of many, many different incarnations of the same one God. Oftentimes, our, um, our religious experience is within the framework of a particular saint or avatar um, and, and, and we we have difficulty seeing beyond that the Srimad Bhagavatam teaches about so many avatars who have come in different times of history of the one same supreme God who comes to enlighten us to free us from suffering and to ultimately attract our hearts to love him and to serve him. So the Srimad Bhagavatam, if it's you know, studied carefully, it takes us beyond sectarian, narrow vision of the one supreme absolute source of everything that exists. We can understand the, the, the incredible, infinite variegatedness within that one Supreme Godhead. Brahmiti Paramatmiti Bhagavaniti Shabdhiti. The Lord is within each individual living being's heart as personal friend. That same truth is the all-pervading impersonal light, the existence of Brahman that's within and outside of everything, like the light of the sun. And that supreme being is also Bhagavan, the supreme, all-beautiful, all-loving person who we could have a relationship with, to reciprocate with in this life and forever. And to recognize that everybody has that relationship with that supreme, all-loving being. But some have forgotten and some are remembering and some are in the process of reestablishing that remembrance. The Srimad Bhagavatam has one purpose, and this is established at the very beginning. 
to inspire unmotivated, uninterrupted, ecstatic, loving devotion to the one supreme truth. People follow religion for economic purposes, for the purpose of satisfying their desires and their, their, their sensual um, aspirations. Some aspire for liberation, for liberation, for yogic cities, to perform great miracles. But the Srimad Bhagavatam explains that all these things are there and we can achieve them through a spiritual practice. But ultimately, unmotivated, uninterrupted, ecstatic, pure, prema, bhava, love, love for the, for, for the supreme being and for all living beings is the singular purpose that the Srimad Bhagavatam is bringing us to through so many histories of so many incarnations and saints and various situations um, within human society through incredible, profound philosophical explanations. It's all ultimately bringing us to this platform of pure love. It culminates in the 10th canto where the Supreme Being, the source of all incarnations, appears as Krishna. And with, and with his feminine counterpart, Sri Radha, the very source and origin of all love, of all compassion. How they are sharing the love that we're all searching for. With all of their community in Brindaban. And through this wonderful, wonderful experience of the Srimad Bhagavatam, they're sharing this ecstatic love with everyone and anyone who's willing to make that connection. Thank you. That's beautiful. Beautiful. We're addicted. I think that brings to the Bhagavatam. <laughs> Everybody's getting addicted. Marge, <laughs> we have one final question. And, and every morning, before we read the Bhagavatam, we say Narayanam Namaskritam Naramchala Narotamam Devim Sarsvatim Vyasam Tatojaya Mudirayat. And and within that invocational prayer, there's a mention of Narayan Rishi. And you know, sometimes we hear about him, it sounds like he's one person. Sometimes it sounds like he's two people. You've wandered the Himalayas as a sadhu. You've many times been to Badaka Ashrama. Um, where Vyasadeva resided and wrote Bhagavatam and meditated on Narnarayan Rishi. We've been clueless for some time now. <laughs> and we've been waiting. Everything else makes sense, right? Mother Saraswati, the goddess of learning, the Supreme Lord Narayan. Um, the, Vyasadeva, the author. Vyasadeva. But yeah. who? Can you explain why? Every, and we're, we're saying it every day. We don't want to just be ritualistic. Can you explain? Shed some light on Nara Narayan Rishi. <laughs> We've been waiting for a sadhu to wander into our company to share this with us. Please help us understand this. Nara Narayan Rishi. They especially appeared 
long ago at Badri, Badri Kashram or Badrinath. And that's the very same place that Vyasadeva, living in a cave on the bank of the Saraswati River, was writing Vedas. And ultimately, it was close to there that he met Narada Muni, who um, inspired him to compile the Srimad Bhagavatam. So Nara Narayan Rishi is an avatar of the one supreme being, Narayan or Krishna, who taught devotion, renunciation, and transcendental knowledge, which shows us the path to living true renunciation and devotion. Rupa Goswami taught that the fullest form of renunciation is not to give things away, but to use whatever we have for the higher purpose of bhakti or Krishna or God's service. Whatever intelligence we have, whatever skills we have, whatever wealth we have, whatever influence of others we have, to just give those things up is incomplete renunciation. To utilize those things with a sincere heart in the service of the Lord, in compassion to other living beings, is the fullest renunciation. And Nara Narayan Rishi, they represent this type of renunciation. You're asking if they're one person or two people, achintya beda beda. They're simultaneously one and two. <laughs> that is beautiful. Thank you. That so 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 when Vyas Dave is um, making an invocation himself to invoke blessings. This is a principle that he's exemplifying. Srila Prabhupada, our beloved teacher, he would tell us that whatever I'm giving you, it is only by the mercy of my teachers. Nothing is mine. I'm simply a caretaker, like a, like a postal servant who's delivering a message. And the more our heart is pure and cleansed of ego, the more clearly we can deliver the message. But the invocation of the blessings of our superiors and ultimately Jagat Guru or God, Narayan, the more we could actually serve others. So Vyasadeva is invoking the blessings of his gurus. He's invoking the Lord and those persons who are inspiring and empowering him. And in the Himalayas of Badri Gashram, the abode of Naranarayan Rishi, he is recognizing and honoring and a practical thing we could learn from that is to, to invoke the presence of our teachers and our, our, our lineage or, and God within our heart 
by by offering respect, by offering gratitude, and by um, feeling oneself not the doer, but a puppet in the hands on the strings of the grace of the superior power of God coming through our teachers. That was beautiful. Thank you, Marsh. Thank you for sharing so much of your time with us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. Incredible. Please, please come back again and again. We plan to invite you. What a way to start the day. What a way to start the day, Maharaj. Thank you so much. You are, you are our superfood, our magical vitamins to uplift us and make us strong and make us whole and make us connected. Thank you so much. We're honored to have you in our lives and on Zoom. And I'm looking forward to spending next week with you when we do our uh, program at the Bhakti Center online. Go to bhaktisenter.org to, to uh, find out about that. And uh, everyone could take part if they like. And and I, wish, I wish to thank everyone who is within the network of the compassion and humor of Raghunath and Kostruba. <laughs> thank you. Beautiful, Maharaj. And want to thank everybody for joining us. We had